Pray with me. We give you great thanks, O God of heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we get the privilege of worshiping you and serving you. And even in something as simple as the way we go to sleep and the way we wake up gives us the energy to be able to serve you even more. I pray that we would take every part of our lives seriously, that we would realize that you have us in a race, a race that you want us to win, and we will run with endurance and great patience. We will put every ounce of effort and energy we can into this race to hear those words from you one day, well done, well done. Enter into the joy of this heaven, well done, you faithful servant. We love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Green Lake weeks, weeks of camp, whatever they may be, uh, they, they, do, they do tend to turn me pretty, pretty nostalgic for a number of reasons. Uh, one piece of the nostalgia just has to do with looking at the list of kids that are going and you know, our sixth graders, I mean, I remember when a lot of these kids were born, right? And now they're going with us and they're going to be part of this week. But then the weird part was, I looked at the 12th graders. Vivian is going to be a 12th grader. What happened? Elam Yost is a 12th grader. When did that happen? This is just, stop, stop. You're still supposed to be in second grade. So... It's just kind of funny to look at these kids and see them growing and then seeing them grow into people who, who love God and who want to serve Him. It's amazing. And it also turns my mind back to my youth, uh, to going to camp. And I didn't go to like a normal camp in that, uh, you know, I got to go and be a camper and do all that stuff. My mom had four kids in five years. My dad did not make a lot of money. There was not going to be a bunch of kids going off to camp. So if I was going to go to camp... It was going to be like this one. I went for a week to serve, to work. Except I didn't go for a week. I went for weeks. 15-year-old, 16-year-old, and 17-years-old, I would go for 10 weeks to work at camp. I'd get out from school, be off for a week, go to camp, serve all summer, get back the week before school started, and get back to school once again. Uh, This is a picture of the camp that I went to, the lake I went to, in upstate New York. It was, it was absolutely beautiful and almost as cold as Green Lake. It's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And um, every year I did something a little different. The first year I went there, 15 years old, I worked in the dish pit. I don't know if you've ever washed dishes for 600 elementary school campers. It's an adventure. And, you know, we're all like 15 years old and they're washing dishes. And, um, and mom wasn't around, like, to do our laundry and so by the third week of all of our laundry being wet all the time, uh, we got nicknamed Stinky. It was just kind of a smelly, disgusting rot. I learned how to mop a floor while working in the dish pit. I loved it. I graduated the next year, got to move up to be a cook. You know what it's like to cook pancakes for 600 kids? Doom, 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 doom. You're using that thing as fast as you can. I learned about quantity. I learned how to cook for mass amounts of people. It was cool doing that. And then my final year, 17 years old, I finally made it, achieved the final achievement in the kitchen. I became a baker. I got to get up early and go home early and make donuts. Oh, it was the best. I mean, I was finally, I was finally in my element. 
Now this camp, it was a ranch for elementary school students. And back in the day, you know, when we weren't quite as politically corrupt, there, there, were, there were cowboys and Indians and all that kind of stuff going on. And, and we'd have bandits and, and gunfights and all kinds of craziness. I was a bandit. And so I got to carry around this blank gun and shoot it and scare kids. And it was fantastic. And one night after, after dinner, they all came out of the dining hall and they wanted us to go ahead and get on the bookstore roof. And there was going to be a shootout. And we were supposed to roll off the roof onto the ground. Now, I was never very... Brian would have tried it. He's coordinated. He's gutsy. I'm not coordinated. And I am a wimp. And so I'm like, there ain't no way I'm doing this. So I come over, bang, bang, bang. And then I came, I came to the edge of the roof like this. And I sat down. And I held on to the gutter. And I jumped off. And I twisted just like this. And as I came down... My foot caught the edge of the porch like this, and snap, snap, my leg broke. I'm laying on the ground. Little campers hate my guts. They're coming up there. They got their feet ready to go. And and the older people fortunately said, "Uh, back off. And somebody said, stand up and walk it off. And when my leg did the accordion inside, I'm like, yeah, there's no walking this one off. Lay me down. And I had to go home. And it killed me. I'm just like, I have to leave. I have to leave this place I love. Went home for three weeks and then was able to go back for my final three weeks. And I got to tell you, you know, camp is life-changing. There's no doubt. You get out of your element. You get out of all your normal stuff. It can be, it can be life-changing. For me, it was life-saving. I had a friend die when I was 14 years old. And I thought a lot about going to be in heaven with him. I don't want to live. I hated life at home. I hated everything about life. And for those 10 weeks, for those 10 weeks, it was like, I love living. It didn't just change my life, it saved my life. And we don't know where all of our kids are today, but I wonder if some of them will look back on this week and they'll say, that thing didn't just change my life, that thing saved my life. We need times like that, times to get away, times to be in a different environment and just enjoy life. So it was a Bible camp, and we got a lot of Bible. And every summer this guy would come and speak. His name was Robbie Robertson. They called him Uncle Robbie. This guy, if he was 5'1", he was lucky. I mean, and he's built like a fire plug. He's just a little, little dude. He was at least 80, although I was 15, so he might have been 47. But I think he was 80. He was in a world war. I thought it was World War II, but then when I did the math, he might have been world, he might have been in the Civil War. I don't know. He was in a war. And he loved military themes. And I was there for three summers, and every summer he'd come and he'd do the exact same sermon, the exact same words, the exact same everything. And by the third time, I pretty much had it down. He talked about timely tips for timid Timothy in troubled times. You wonder where I got the alliteration hook, huh? I mean, and and what he did, he'd take the book of 2 Timothy, and he'd walk through each of the chapters, and he'd say, this is what it takes not only to endure, but to win the race. 
Paul ends this book by saying, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith, and now there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day, and not to me only, but to everyone who loves my appearing. He writes those words from prison, and not a pleasant prison. He's not under house arrest now, he is in a dungeon. The book goes on to say he is in chains He's chained between a pair of convicts, some of Rome's very worst. People would go to that prison and they would die, not just because of execution, but because of the conditions of the prison. And from that prison, he's writing to someone he absolutely loves, a person that he refers to as a child in the faith, a fellow worker, a son with whom he gets to serve And minister, he refers to him and says, I have no one else like him in all the world. These are his final words. This is it. And he writes his final words to someone he loves absolutely dearly. What do you say to someone when you're giving those final words In chapter 1, he talks to me, he says, I thank God whom I serve, as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Isn't that great? He doesn't say so that you, I'm coming so you can be joyful. I can't wait to see you because it's going to bring me joy. It's just going to, it's going to bring me joy to be in your presence once again. He says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So Lois and Eunice are Jews who became Christians. We know that Timothy has some Gentile Greek origin as well. His dad's not mentioned, so likely he is not a believer. Paul's had an impact in seeing this kid come to know Christ. I don't know if he actually sat with him and prayed the prayer with him. Some of you had that privilege of sitting with the kids in this church and praying with them as they came to Christ. What a tremendous privilege that is to bring a baby into the kingdom of God. It says, for this reason, Timothy, because of your faith, because I'm convinced your faith is real, it says, because of that, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Timothy, for some reason, has decided to sit on his gifts. He's not using them to the fullest extent that he could use them. By the way, uh, Timothy is referred to as young. Tim, later in the book, Paul will say, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but be an example to the believer. And so some people look and say, oh, this is probably a, a 17-year-old. Uh, they think he's probably more like 40. But compared to Paul, he's young. Compared to me, a lot of you are young, right? So anyway. He says there's this gift, and you've just kind of, you've kind of let the passion of your gift Die down. And the picture that he uses is uh, coals on a fire that have just started to lose their heat, to lose their light, to lose their intensity. 
And he says, all you got to do is take a stick, poke it around a little bit, and boom, you're going to see that passion flame up once again. For some reason, Timothy had come to a, a point in his life that his passion had diminished. Now, I think Paul gives us the reason. He says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity. For some reason, Timothy had begun to duck his head. He he didn't put himself all out there. There was some fear in Timothy. We don't know what the fear was, but there was some fear that caused him to kind of hold back a little bit. And and Paul says, that's not the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ is a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. The spirit of Christ puts it all out there. But he was holding back. And I wonder what, what holds you back these days from just putting it all out there. From living out your gift to the fullness. I learned a new word this spring. I love this word. It's hexaity. I'd have to look it up to spell it. But anyway, hexaity. Hexaity refers to the uniqueness of a thing. A one of a kind. Nothing else like it in all the world. Snowflakes, you know. One of a kind, no two are alike. Every person in this room, one of a kind. Not only in this room, but in all the universe, there will never be another you. That's your hack. That's the hack you bring to this world. And my goodness, if you're the only one that brings that hack to this world, why in the world are you holding back from giving everything you can to let that hack be experienced by the world? Why would would you hold it back And deprive the world of the gifting God has given you. Maybe it's timidity. Maybe you've got some fear. Maybe you're fearful that if you try, you'll fail. It's a a valid fear. I've tried and failed lots of stuff, man. And it's pretty public. Uh, You know, maybe maybe you fear that you're going to try something and someone else will say, that's really stupid. You You can't handle critical words. People give you critical words and you, you just wilt like a flower in the sunshine. Boom, done, over. You know? Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're afraid of that. Maybe you've tried it before and it didn't go well and you're like, I'm not going there again. Maybe you've just been beat up by the world so much that you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit down in my chair. I'm going to keep my head low until my funeral service. Fan up the flame. Fan into flame. The gift God has given you. For God did not give us that spirit of timidity. That fear is not from God. So fan it into flame. Chapter 1, stir up. Stir up. They're all going to be S's. So, chapter 2. Chapter 2. He starts in the beginning of that chapter. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will be able qualified to teach others. Endure hardship like a good soldier of Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be first to receive a share of the crops. Then he says, reflect on what I'm saying. For the Lord will give you insight into this. I love this. Paul does not feel the need to apply the sermon. He just says some things. He says, think about it. 
You'll get it in time. And I'm sure Timothy's going, are you kidding me, really? You're not going to, you're the apostle Paul for crying aloud. Explain this thing. He said, no, I want to just stew in your heart a while. I want you to stew on what it means to be a soldier who doesn't get entangled in the junk of the world, but, but sticks with what he's commanded to do. I want you to think about what it's like to be, to be an athlete who runs the race to win. Doesn't, doesn't just piddle around, runs the race to win. I want you to think about what it's like to be a farmer who day after day after day works in toils so that one day he gets to receive the reward of a harvest. He says in chapter 2, Timothy, you've got to stand up. You've got to stand up. Again, this, this guy who wanted to keep his head low, this guy who wanted to duck, who wanted to be timid, he said, there's no place for that in the kingdom of God. You need to stand. And he talks about some things that might cause him to not want to stand. I mean, in verse 6 and following, Paul says, I'm sitting here in chains. This could be you too if the price is right. You know, why, why would you want to take a stand if you might end up in prison? He goes on to say in, in verse 15 and following that a lot of people are arguing about things. He says they're quarreling and bickering. And this wasn't quarreling over color of carpet or taste issues. This was quarreling about what God had to say about things. And Timothy found himself saying, I just don't want to engage in this stuff. I just want to, I just want to stay back. I have two questions for you when it comes to standing. What do you stand for and who do you stand with? Do you know what you stand for? Some of us, we stand for whatever we're standing with in the moment. We're chameleons. We're good at just blending with, you know, whatever the person's saying in the moment, our favorite word is, uh-huh. We, just go, we will go along with competing, completely opposite perspectives because we like to keep the head low. We don't want to stand up, we crouch. We crouch. What do you stand for, and who do you stand with? Now, as a Christ follower, i got news for you. You have no option but stand for this. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't get to figure out which parts you like and which parts you don't rip out pages and all that kind of stuff. We have to stand for this. And who do we stand with? We need to stand with the Lord who died for us. I stand for Christ, and I stand with Christ, but I stand. I put my head up, and I stand. And in the standing... I could get in some trouble. But he says, stand. Stir up the gift. Stand up for Christ. Stand up with Christ. Chapter 3. Fastest you've ever gone through a book of the Bible. Here we go. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without natural love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutals, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and he says, have nothing to do with them. And I mean, goodness, you read that and you say, how in the world did Paul know what was going to happen in 2018? And the funny thing is, people read this in 1947 and said, that sounds a lot like now. And in 1865, they said, that sounds a lot like now. We've all been looking and all saying, my goodness, that sounds a lot like now. Because guess what? It's never been easy. If you think it was easy in 1950, you're delusional. It's never been easy to stand for what is right. It's never been easy. Has it perhaps been easier? Maybe a touch. But it's never been easy to stand for what is right. 
And in chapter 3, Timothy says it's one thing to stand up, it's another thing to stay up. Are you going to stay up? Because for a lot of us, we valiantly take that stand. And when the bullets start to fly, we go, yeah, not so much. Boop. I'm taking a seat now. Are you willing to stay up even when it's difficult, even when it's hard? And again, he goes into all the things in the rest of the chapter that are incredibly difficult to stand up. Conditions that cause us to say, I don't want to stay up. I'm going to tell you, doing ministry long-term and in the same place, one of the things that just becomes sobering and sad is to see the number of people I know who have stood at some point but didn't stay. They stood up for Christ, but they didn't stay up for Christ. And now, for one reason or another, they've completely drifted from Christ. It says... If I can say anything, Paul's saying this to Timothy, if I can say anything to you in the final words I'm going to say to you, it's not enough to stand. You've got to stay up. Even when it's tough, you've got to stay up. And it will be tough. Stop thinking it's going to get easier. Has it gotten easier in the last five years? No. Will it be easier in the next five years? No. Stay up. Chapter 4, four minutes left. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will, put up with, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will suit their own desires. They will gather around them a growing number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of evangelists, discharge all the duties of your ministry. He says, stir up the gift, stand up for Christ and with Christ, stay up, you can't sit down now, and it's not enough to stand and stay up, you've got to speak up. You've got to speak up. And speaking up is speaking the truth. Speaking the truth. I know some of you, you're like, I'm willing to stand, but, but I'll let him do the talking. <laughs> I don't want to do the talking. I don't want to do the speaking. I'll leave it to someone else. We have to speak up. We have to speak the truth. Now, three minutes left. This is so unfair because there's so much to say about speaking. We do not have the right to be offensive because we have the truth. We have no right. I mean, just the opposite. We are, we are sinners saved by the grace of God. And we always have to keep that humbly in perspective. We are sinners saved by the grace of God. We have no right to look down on someone else and say, you people... No way. But we also need to understand this. You can speak the truth in the gentlest, most loving, most beautiful way, and the truth is still offensive. We have no right to be offensive, but we have to realize that the truth hurts. The truth is hard. And it's hard sometimes to speak the hard truth, but here's the truth. 
I love you more when I tell you the truth than when I, with I, hold, than when I withhold the truth. Am I being loving to you if I know the truth and I say, but I'm not going to tell you? I love you more if I'm willing to say, here's the truth of what God says, rather than distorting it to say, this might feel better. I know it's not exactly what God says, but it'll feel better. I love you more when I'm willing to gently, lovingly, and respectfully speak up. Speak the truth. Stir up the gift God has given you. Stand up for Christ and with Christ. Stay up. It's going to get hard and it's going to get harder. You guys, it's going to be miserable. I tell Blake all the time, you know, Blake wants to be a pastor. I'm like, I am so glad I'm done when I'm done and I feel sorry for you starting when you're starting. It is going to be a difficult season to be a pastor over the next 40 years. Mine was a cakewalk in a comparison. Speak up. Speak the truth. Not because you hate people. Not because you hate what they're doing. But because you love people too much to be quiet. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. And not me only, but everyone who has ever longed for my appearing. What was it like to know that his days were done? He knew he had done his best. Paul knew that he had stirred out the gift. And he took a stand and he wasn't willing to sit down. And he spoke the truth constantly. As we walk away today, I want to give you one last thought, and that is this. Paul was a spiritual father to Timothy. Are you a spiritual father to anyone? Uh, you're saying I'm a girl. Well, are you a spiritual mother to anyone? Is there anyone in your life, and you know, it can be someone you gave birth to. That's fine. But is there anybody in your life that you can look at and say, that person is closer to Jesus because of my influence and impact? This past week, Ryan Tanner, kid who is 11 years old when I came to the church, he's in his 30s now, shows up to spend a few hours with me with his three kids, Michael, 10, Grace, 8, and Paul, 5. And we got to spend several hours together, and I was like, these kids, I love these kids. And I'm looking at these kids, and I'm going, my word. He was that old when I met him. And for good and for bad, he's got my fingerprints all over him. Is there anybody who has your spiritual fingerprints all over them? This is part of what it means to stir up, stand up, stay up, and speak up. That we have some spiritual kids I mean, Green Lake people, you are going to have a chance to just have all kinds of spiritual parenting going on this week. It may be the only week you ever impact these kids, but they may look back 20... I mean, there are people I remember from camp. I don't have a relationship with them now, but they made an impact on me. Here's a chance. Here's a chance 
to create a spiritual friendship with a child. To talk to a mom or a dad and say, our church is doing a camp. Would you be willing to send them along? You might even offer to pay. Offer to drive. Offer to whatever. Make it easy for them. You could have a spiritual impact on a kid. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to take the faith that he gave us and to give it away. And to give ourselves away. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Lord God, can this be the prayer of every person in the room? It absolutely can be. But it will not be if we do not stir up the gift that has gone cold, if we do not stand up with you and for you, if we do not stay up in the middle of difficult times, and if we do not speak up, speak the truth, even when it's hard, speak the truth in a loving way because we love people too much to lie to them or to withhold the truth from them. And God, give us lots of spiritual kids People we can look at and know their life is different and better and more like Jesus because of me. And people that they can look up to and say, there's my spiritual dad. There's my spiritual mom. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Card was on your chair. There are more on the table. Pray, pray, pray for us. It's going to be a great week. We'll see you.